You are listening to the African Campfire Stories podcast. The African Campfire Stories podcast is a podcast program that is dedicated to the telling of African history stories and events. Welcome. African history, we have to go through a lot of information, including names of places and names of people. Should you pick up anything that we get wrong, or if you just need to reach us, please use our website www.africancampfirestories.com. You can also reach us on our social media pages on Twitter, African Campfire Stories, on Facebook, African Campfire Stories, and on Instagram, African Campfire Stories. Your assistance will help us to keep us honest and it will assist us in continuing to provide you with good quality episodes. To create this podcast, we use sources from historians, academics and other writers. Thank you very much to all the men and women who write about African history. Before we begin today, we would like to suggest that you check out our previous episodes on our Cold War Porn series. They will help to give you the background you will need in order to properly make sense of today's episode. Without much further ado, here is episode 6, Cold War Pawns, After Hitler. Today, we will continue to provide you with background material for the Cold War in Africa. Please bear with us for a few more background episodes before we get to discuss Africa directly. We will try our best to make sure that these background episodes are not throwaway episodes, meaning that, These background episodes are designed in such a way that they are very informative. They provide us and you, our dear listener, an opportunity to discuss world history. Stick around with us and you will not regret embarking on this Cold War story with us. In the last episode, we saw that even though the United States of America and the United Soviet Socialist Republics were fighting on the same side during the Second World War, there were cracks showing in their relationship. There was great distrust between the USA and the USSR. Britain was part of the anti-Hitler alliance in World War II. Winston Churchill, the Prime Minister of Britain, was even more suspicious of the USSR and its leader, Joseph Stalin. Churchill was having a particularly hard time during World War II. His country had been a superpower before World War II began. But as the war went on, it became clear that Britain was losing its superpower status. Out of all the Allied countries still fighting against Hitler late in the war, Britain was the only country that had been in the war since the beginning, that is, from September 1939. The USSR had come into the war in June 1941. The USA come in even later in December 1941. Even U.S. President Franklin Roosevelt was aware that Britain was broke by the middle of the war. Churchill thus knew very well that whatever the outcome of the war in Europe was, Britain would have trouble fixing the situation after the war. After the war, he thought the United States would leave Europe and thus leave Britain to deal with an emboldened USSR. After all, the USA had abandoned Europe after the First World War. Why wouldn't the USA do so again, he thought. So as much as possible, he tried to ensure that the USA joined with him in trying to limit the ambitions of the USSR during the war, while the USA was still engaged in Europe. 
In Churchill's view, the USSR had to be made to stay away from Eastern and Central Europe as much as possible. If she couldn't be made to stay away, at least she had to be locked into agreements that would constrain her ambitions. Churchill's biggest challenge in achieving this was his friend, US President Roosevelt. Roosevelt either had a high opinion of his own persuasive powers or he was simply naive. Roosevelt had always believed that he can convince anyone of anything. If only he could see the person in question alone face to face. He, Roosevelt, would have little trouble in making someone see his point of view. But in Stalin, Roosevelt met his equal in the game of slipperiness. During the war, he liked to believe that he could persuade Stalin to becoming a decent member of the Allies after the war. He even tried going behind Churchill a few times in order to set up a one-on-one -on -one conference with himself and Stalin. Churchill had to strongly express his dislike for such an idea and the idea was dropped. Churchill's blocking of a meeting between Roosevelt and Stalin is a bit hypocritical. Churchill met with Roosevelt without Stalin at least nine times. He met with Stalin twice, one time of which there was no representative from Roosevelt's side of things. It was this latter Moscow meeting, codenamed the Tolstoy Conference, where Churchill's desperation about the situation of post-war Europe showed itself. Churchill tried to proactively constrain Stalin's ambition by splitting up Eastern European countries into Western and USSR post-war spheres of influence. The USSR would have 90% control of Romania, 75% of Hungary and Bulgaria, 10% of Greece, and 50% of Yugoslavia. In Poland, a very big concern for Britain, as told in the previous episode, it was simply stated that the interests of the USSR would be recognized. This Tolstoy conference occurred in October 1944. By this time, the USSR army was about to take over a lot of Eastern European countries. Churchill was pulling a last-ditch attempt to ensure that these countries were not completely turned into communist conclaves. It was a good thing that Roosevelt was not at this conference. The US was against such splitting up of countries into spheres of control and influence. This is why Churchill did not tell Americans about this incident. But they found out anyway. Knowing he was doing something that could be regarded as a scandal if it was ever found out, he called the piece of paper on which he wrote the percentage splits of countries a naughty document. He then sheepishly said to Stalin, open quote, Might it not be thought rather cynical if it seemed we had disposed of such issues, so fateful to millions of people, in such an offhand manner? Let us burn the paper. Close quote. Stalin, being more used to embarrassing scandals and caring little about reputation, replied, Open quote. No, you can keep it. Close quote. Churchill, however, did not trust that a meeting with only Roosevelt and Stalin would be to Britain's best interest. Not only that, by that time it would not be stretching things too much if we state that Roosevelt had shown softness towards Stalin. To be fair to Churchill, maybe his concerns about Roosevelt were not totally unfounded. Some historians believe that Roosevelt was very sick by the time the last wartime conference of the Allies took place in February 1945 at Yalta. After all, Roosevelt died of sickness on the 12th of April 1945.
only a few months after the Yalta Conference. Testimonies from some of the attendees of the Yalta Conference confirmed that Roosevelt looked too sickly. He wasn't his usual dynamic self, they said. The Yalta Conference is very important in the understanding of the Cold War because almost everyone who blames Roosevelt for being soft on Stalin points to the Yalta Conference as a point of reference. Our aim in this podcast isn't to take sides, nor is it to blame historical players, nor is it to provide them reprieve from blame. But it's not fair to blame Roosevelt and only him for selling out Eastern Europe to Stalin and thus single-handedly making the Cold War inevitable. There are some historians that put the blame on Roosevelt for all the pain and suffering that Eastern Europe suffered from the end of World War II until the collapse of the USSR. No one was going to hold Stalin back from subjugating Eastern Europe. It is difficult to fathom a situation whereby Stalin would have kept to his agreements with the Western Allies. The point is that Stalin was no Democrat. He was no lover of Democrats either. And we have mentioned in this series that there was no love lost between Stalin and Poland. Also previously spoken about in this series is the fact that in the early days of the USSR, there had been a war between Poland and the USSR, a war which Poland had won. USSR leaders had never been happy about that outcome. Roosevelt thought that making Stalin join the newly finagled United Nations was going to calm Stalin down. Also, he thought the respectability that would come with UN membership would make Stalin feel compelled to act rationally on the world stage. The predecessor to the United Nations was the League of Nations, which had been formed at the end of World War I. The League of Nations had not been successful in stopping conflicts, including World War II. So, why would the United Nations be able to constrain the USSR? Many believe that the League of Nations had not worked because the USA did not join it. Roosevelt was the main proponent of the United Nations. He believed that whatever was not worked out during the war would always be discussed and resolved in the UN. But such thinking from Roosevelt was a symptom of the futility of the agreements reached with Stalin. Churchill, too, was not immune from being naive about Stalin. Though he later pretended as if he never doubted that Stalin would break the wartime agreements, the truth is that soon after Yalta, he also thought that Stalin would keep the promises he had made. He is quoted in saying after the Yalta conference, open quote, Poor Neville Chamberlain believed that he could trust Hitler. He was wrong. But I don't think I'm wrong about Stalin. Close quote. He was saying he's not wrong about his belief that Stalin would stick to the agreements. The Western Allies simply had no means of forcing Stalin into compliance except for using military force. Towards the end of World War II and soon after the war, no one in the upper echelons of the US government was seriously considering invading the USSR. What the British might have thought about this issue didn't matter at all. Any invasion of the USSR would depend solely on the USA. Stalin's army had overran Poland by the end of 1944. At the Yalta conference, he was made to promise that there would be free elections in Poland as soon as it was possible to hold elections. But just before his death, Roosevelt was showing signs of frustration with Stalin. He was heard saying that the agreements reached with Stalin were very elastic 
and could be interpreted and acted upon in many ways by Stalin. In March 1945, Roosevelt is said to have written strongly worded messages to Stalin, accusing the latter of breaking the Yalta agreements over Poland, Germany and other transgressions. When Harry Truman took over from Roosevelt as the US president after Roosevelt's death in April 1945, the relationship between the West and the USSR was already in tatters. It didn't help matters that when Stalin met Truman at the Potsdam conference held in July and August of 1945, he instantly did not like Truman. Stalin, not liking a leader of a foreign country, especially a leader from a capitalist foreign country, should not be a surprise to anyone. What should be a surprise is that Stalin had actually liked Roosevelt in the first place. The new US President Harry Truman would face challenges from the very beginning from both inside the USA and from the world at large. Truman had been vice president for only about three months before Roosevelt died. Roosevelt was a very secretive leader and he had not involved Truman in anything of importance. Roosevelt and Truman had met only about two times as president and as vice president. The extent of Truman's lack of information was so bad that Roosevelt had not even told Truman that the USA was in the process of developing a nuclear bomb. Recent historians have judged Truman's performance as president favorably, but one can't help to conclude that at the time he took over as president, few people thought Truman would be capable of filling Roosevelt's shoes. In fact, the ghost of Roosevelt haunted Truman tremendously. A legend had developed in Washington that Roosevelt had sold out Eastern Europe to Stalin. This could not help but make Truman more stringent in his dealings with the USSR, in order so he could show to the US power circles that he would be tough on the USSR. After the USA dropped two nuclear bombs on Japan in August 1945, a lot of people in the USSR felt that America was going to use nuclear bombs to bully their country. Stalin definitely thought so. To Stalin, the USA having nuclear bombs was spoiling the tremendous victory his country had just achieved in World War II. The nuclear bomb was creating a glaring imbalance of forces between the West and the East. Stalin had had spies inside the Manhattan Project, which was a name given to the US nuclear project. So the development of the nuclear bomb, although it had been a closely kept secret, was not a surprise to him. With the help of espionage, the USSR now rushed into building its own nuclear bomb. The USSR would finally explode its first nuclear bomb in August 1949. The loss of the nuclear monopoly brought immense fear in the USA. Stalin had been posing a serious threat to the West without the bomb. Now that he had the bomb, there was no telling what he would do. The year 1949 was a bad year for the Americans. As if the USSR explosion of the nuclear bomb wasn't enough stress, on the 1st of October 1949, the Communist Party of China proclaimed the People's Republic of China. The proclamation of the People's Republic of China was the culmination of the long-drawn Chinese civil war between the Mao Zedong communists and the Chiang Kai-shek's nationalists. Needless to say, the West, led by the USA, had supported the nationalists in the Chinese Civil War. 
the takeover of China by communists could not have come at a worse time for the West. The USSR, the biggest country in the world in terms of surface area, was communist. Now China, the most populous country in the world, had also gone communist. And China remains a communist country to this day. Though these days, the strand of communism practiced by China is not of the purest kind. Some of you might recall in previous episodes, we mentioned in passing that during the Second World War, the list of the countries that were allied against Germany, Italy and Japan also included China. It is now time to introduce to you the Chinese aspect of the Cold War. But unfortunately, that discussion will have to wait till next time. We've run out of time for today's episode. This is the end of today's installment of the Cold War Porn series. Next time, we will talk about China, the war between Japan and China, the Chinese Civil War, communists versus nationalists. The USA will support the nationalists, but sometimes the USA will also support the communists. The not-so-good relationship between Stalin and China's new communist leader, Mao Zedong, the USSR will help the Chinese communists. Remember to follow the African Campfire Stories podcast on Twitter, African Campfire Stories, Facebook, African Campfire Stories, Instagram, African Campfire Stories, or visit our website at www.africancampfirestories.com. Please also leave us any comments or input you may want to communicate with us.